Well, hello again, everyone. Hi there. We are sitting here ready to talk. Are you ready to listen? I hope so. Well, that's good, because this is The The Yamcast. And I'm Chris. And I'm Erica. And uh, we love making this podcast because we like talking about college students and young adults and everything that goes along with that, right? Yes, and how to live that life well, seeing as we, you know, maybe stumble and fell a little bit. No, never. (laughs) Well, if you would like to contact us at all, you can find us on social media at the Yamcast, or you could email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. And we are just loving the information that you send us. You so much e- of it. Might even get a shout out. Plethora, if you will. Ple- <laughs> Alrighty. So I'm a little dreading this one. I don't know. Why? If you, I don't need, well, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of um, interesting words. Yeah. If you didn't like the, uh, the whoredom a lot Correct. in the you know, two back, then yeah. you might, there's some, there's some of that happening again. It's a lot of that in Hosea. Yeah. So, maybe we should, I, I realized today as I was reading through this passage again, getting ready for this, that perhaps we should have given a bit of a PSA before we started Hosea. Maybe. So. Especially here. The other one, not as bad. Right. The main story of Hosea is he marries a prostitute. So that alone creates some issues you know, a little bit. with the younger listeners. So, you know, if you listen to this with your kids around, maybe if we say it's a Hosea episode, you just wait till later. You listen to it first. <laughs> see if it's okay. Because this one definitely has some words that yeah. you may not want to be listening to with Correct. young ears around. But in fairness, if your child grabbed your Bible and opened up to Hosea, we're not saying anything outside of what's Very already true. in it's the text. It's already there. So if you have a problem, take it up with God. We should just do that all the time. <laughs> Any problem you have with us, just take it up with God. And that's the podcast for this week, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for listening. No, I'm just, right? I mean, really, that's the answer anyway, but we don't do that enough. No, no. Well, in, in this case, yes, because it's strictly the scripture, but. Correct. We, we are not perfect, so we may do things that are wrong. Right. And whereas other passages or topics that we've done in the past, we've had to give a PSA because we were going to say something that might be deemed inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Here, we're not necessarily pushing anything that the text isn't already pushing. It's, it's already there. So just be aware. Yes. So with that said, are we ready for the read through? Let's do it. We're going to do chapter two this week. We're going to read it in chunks of verses, very poetic verses. If you were to look at the text while we're reading, which would always be a good thing anyway, you'll notice that it's got, it's sort of set up. Like a poem. Yeah, with yeah. tabs. And spaces. And weird <laughs> punctuation. Correct. It just looks like a poem. Yes. Uh, you know, and if you were to like break this one down in Hebrew, we've got things called triplets and doublets and nobody cares Which about Which is that far stuff. more poetic than what we... Correct. So these correct. actually are poems that they've tried to keep in the English and make it make sense. So here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. Chapter two. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received... Mercy. That sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Verse two, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. So good times. My first thought here is God is speaking, right? Yes, through oh. Ho- through Hosea. Yep. 
Okay. These are interesting things. <laughs> Pretty serious things. Like, I mean, when he says, when he's talking about strip her naked, he's talking about the next verse, which or line, which is make her as the day she was born. Correct. Like a baby. Um, but I mean, yeah, like kill her with thirst. Like a parched land. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's gives great imagery to be to be real. Right. But it, I mean, it also is kind of showing that like going after other gods is a serious thing and God does not deal with it lightly. Correct. And one of the commentaries that I've dug into a little bit for Hosea and please understand, <clears throat> there's so many commentaries out there that you have to make decisions as to which ones have value in these discussions or not. Mm-hmm. But if you go back to verse 10 of chapter one, it says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. And I think we always think about that as in like this multitude of people that is in, uh, innumerable, right? Mm-hmm. Impossible to count, which is so, so true. But we never think, how does that happen? Because the people of Israel don't necessarily multiply to that extent. You follow mm-hmm. me here? Mm-hmm. So the question is, wh- how many people are we talking about and how does it multiply to an innumerable amount? And the way for that to happen is probably something unexpected. And so some would point forward to Joel or Acts here and say that the people of Israel become innumerable because the nations are finally Mm. brought home. That's one possibility. The other way to look at it here is the nations that are about to invade Israel are going to take up residence and the number is going to multiply without them even trying. So... When we, so then when we get to verses 1, 2, and 3 here, we start to say, okay, how is that going to happen? Well, God's going to start by, in verse 1, you are my people, you have received mercy. That sounds great. I'm all for verse 1. Let's do it. Then verse 2, but plead with your mother, plead. I'm going to make her whoring become a problem, and I'm going to strip her naked, and I'm going to stick her out in the wilderness, and so she's going to die of thirst. And you think... But wait, I thought I was your people, and I thought I were sumers. <laughs> right. So the way that I like to describe this this chapter is it's it's two sides of the same coin. And ironically, what's going to happen here is God's going to use judgment to accomplish His ultimate purposes. Mm-hmm. So this first half of the coin here, verses you know one through what did I say earlier? Like thirteen. Yeah, 13 is going to be basically the first side of the coin, or heads, if you will. And then the, the <laughs> coin is going to flip to tails. They're both describing the same thing. God's purpose is being accomplished by his will. However, the first part is judgment. The second part is the end of the court case and then moving into this other idea that we're going to mm-hmm. see. And it's really this mercy that God gives, even though it's not deserved. And so if you think about verses 1, 2, and 3 here, and you go, I don't like this, think about it as they are after other gods— so the language that's being used here is whoring. They are whoring after other gods. And so in, in doing that, what God then gives them is other gods mm-hmm. through other nations who have gods running them, moving into town, taking up residence. So like, you want them? I'm going to give them to you, and I'm going to give Completely. you exactly what you want. The problem is, in order to do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strip you bare. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you nothing. Mm-hmm. So even as you read the nakedness or you read the parched land thirst thing, you might be thinking, total sexual overtones it's not necessarily it's saying your land is not your own and it's going to be stripped bare yeah you're gonna be left with nothing yeah right all right verse four upon her children also i will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom that's not fair verse five for their mother has played the whore she who conceived them has acted shamefully 
For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. You hear the poetry, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so good. Verse six, therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. So yeah, in the beginning when you said that's not fair, your children are not without blame because they have also gone after other gods just as their parents have. Like that's how they were were taught. Right. 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 So of course that's what they're doing too. So they're not going to be apart from this judgment. Like it's still going to come to them too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a huge part of it. And there's other passages like in Ezekiel, God says this, your mother and your father were actually wandering Arameans. So what he's saying is I pulled you out of the nations and gave you me, which is the best, the only God, right? I'm, I'm by far the best. Why would then would you chase after others? Mm-hmm. Why would you then go after something else? And he's saying, well, you're, you're like your mother, um, which is unfortunate. But, yeah. So they are up to right. When I said that's not fair, it's, it, I'm, I'm being somewhat facetious. Oh, yes, yes, of course. They're the ones that broke the rules. And one more Bible nerdy thing. So chapter, or sorry, chapter 2, verse 4 here. Verse 4 through 17 is the actual court case. So if I could break it down for you super fast, it's this. Yahweh calls people to court, verse 4, part A, and then he has this desire that Israel would be changed. And then from there, we get this idea that punishment's coming. And then in verse 6 and 7, we kind of get the evidence. Verses 9 and 8 and 9, we get uh, you know the first judgment sentence. And then we have evidence against. Then we have another judgment sentence in verses 11 through 15 and more evidence against. And then in 16 and 17, when we get to that place finally, Watch how God responds at the end of the court case. And you're going to go, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. And that's really the point of this book is that it doesn't look like it. you, you expect it to. It doesn't quite land the way you want it to. If you're, you know, if, if it's me looking at a group of people who are just bad people who are not doing what they're supposed to, I want judgment. Yeah, for you're them. like judgment. Get them. Yep. And God's response is no. a lot of times yeah. different. So anything else you want to add there? Well, I mean, just looking at verse six. Yeah. I mean... Like, therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her past. I mean, it's just more so that, like, it's going to be difficult. Like, this is going to be difficult. She's not going to be able to see. She's not going to be able to understand. Yeah. Totally. But also. Yeah. That's what happens. And I think part of what Hosea is saying, and this happens in other books as well, like Jeremiah says this, there's no point in fighting at this point. You've already gone so far down the path. There's no, there's no way out of the judgment. Mercy is not coming any other way. Mm-hmm. Verse seven, she shall, I hate saying those two words together because it, she shall, she shall, <laughs> she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. And then she shall say, so many, that's though. ridiculous. I will go and return to my first husband for it was better for me than, 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 than now. <laughs> and she did not know that it was. I, who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. So it was better with the first husband, God. Yep. Right? That's what they're referring to. And he blessed you with all of these things, and you actually used them to worship Baal. But I actually gave you what you worship Baal for. Like, <laughs> you worship Baal for these things. You got these things and you thought it was Baal, but it was not Baal. Correct. I gave them to you. And then you actually used them to worship him more. Right. Like, that's just crazy. Right. I mean, to put it in a, you know, 
illustration of like today, it'd be like, you know, a fancy wife with a fancy house and a fancy car or, or a husband with a fancy house and a fancy car using all the things that their spouse gave them to then go lure another person, you know, the pool boy or somebody, the mm-hmm. pool, pool girl, you know, I'm just trying to be equal in this. Yep. You're good. Uh, but at the end of all that, then they are thankful to the, the pool boy or the pool girl that they gave them all these things. And, and the first person's like, what? I did that. Like, yeah, it was me. It was me that gave you all the things you needed. It's sad. It's a sad mm-hmm. book, and it shows you just how upset God is with with how the Israel story is going. All right, verse nine. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take back uh, take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. I mean, this is really what we were just talking about, how they're going to be left with nothing. He's like, I blessed you with these things, but now I'm taking them all back. You are literally going to be left with nothing. Yeah, he's very serious, and he's not playing around. And who else has the right to do that but God? Mm -hmm. So we read this, and we go, I don't like this judgment passage. But if you think about it, he's totally right. He's within his rights to do so. I mean, as we've been told often, like, nothing is actually ours. Right. So. Right. So... 13 then kind of breaks, remember that, that two-sided coin. So this is the end of the heads or maybe tails. If you like tails less, then that's the judgment it's, it's side. It's true. Whichever side you don't like. <laughs> if you think about it, I mean, I think most people probably prefer heads. They think that the heads is the right, but it's 50-50. It's whatever it is. It, there's no So one side of chance. the coin is judgment. And we pretty much just read how the judgment's going to go down. And the court case is about to end with verse 14 through 17. And that the way that the court case ends, like I said, is the other side of the coin. And you go, what? So something's about to shift major. This is a big, big move here. And you got to look for it. So verse 14, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of a core, a door of hope. And there shall she shall there she shall answer as in the days of her youth as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. So good. For I will remove the names of the Baals from their mouths, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant in that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So the majority of us, we love this, right? We want to sit in this. I know I do. We love this part. The Mm -hmm. part before it makes us be like, oh, I don't really like that. But also like... We bring that on ourselves. It's not necessarily, I mean, it's yes, God, quote unquote, letting it happen. But right. we chose that. Yeah. Right? 
this is, I mean, it's beautiful. It kind of shows like you are never too far gone. Israel does not deserve this at all. And God is like, but this is what will happen in the future. Like, this is what I will do. He is still there, and he desires for you to come to him. Like, it's beautiful. Right. And so imagine a court case where you're like, and you committed adultery, and you, you were adulteress, and you were adulteress, and you deserve full judgment. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you out in the wilderness and speak tenderly to you. And you're like, what? <laughs> and you're like, that don't make sense. <laughs> I'm going to love you and show you kindness. What? Yeah, it's basically what just happened. It's crazy. So then verse 21, and in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, and I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I shall have, I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. It's good. Like, it is. Like, it preaches. It's so beautiful, that end. And, I mean, what you were about to experience, like, this is basically what he's saying. Like, what you're about to experience is not the end. Right. But are consequences of your wrongdoing. But like, I'm not gone forever. Right. But like, this does have to happen. Right. But this is the end, what I just told you. Yeah. And think about that. You know, you wondered why he's naming his kids all these weird names. And the whole purpose of doing that in the beginning was so that God can say, tell the people that are named that, I'm going to give them a better name. I'm going to give them a better Mm. something. Folks, if you're not listening to this and thinking that sounds like revelation or that sounds like some of the things Jesus says. Yes, yes, yes. Like this, this prophet is one of those links, right? I mean, really the prophets serve as that anyway. They're speaking God's words, linking the, the defeat of, of what the Israelites should have done from Torah on to some promise in the future future, that's beautiful and better. And did you notice all the language here? Uh, it's it's garden imagery, right? Mm-hmm. The beasts and the birds and the and the grain and the grain wine and the, and the oil. Yep. Like you're gonna have everything you need. It's gonna be an abundance. It's gonna be beautiful. And you're like, I want that. And he said, You had that, <laughs> and you ruined it. And you used it to go worship another god. Mm-hmm. And now that you've done that, I'm going to come, judge you, wipe you out, strip you bare, and then I'm gonna take you out in the wilderness, lovingly speak to you, bring you back, and say. Now you're my people. And you're going to say, you are my God. So at the end of the exile here, what you see at the time of Jesus is an Israelite nation that is very much committed to doing what God wants them to do. Now, they, a number of them take it the wrong way, right? And they, mm-hmm. they start really pushing limits that aren't supposed to be there. And they start marginalizing the people who need to be brought in, the yeah. women at the well and some of these others. Those who are faithful and wanting to follow God don't even have rights to get in because they've broken yeah, some they no rule access. or some idea. Uh, so what we see from this is then hypervigilance to God's law. Mm. And they still mistake what's supposed to happen. So, again, it's like this. We, we as humans just never can quite get it right. Yeah, because really here it's, it is all about mercy. Yeah. And so... I mean, that's really what should be learned here is mercy on people that don't deserve it. Yeah. Not, I'm going to keep talking down to you until you get it. Or right. we're going to keep these rules and stack them higher and higher so that it's harder and harder and harder. Like, that's not at all what he's talking about. No. No. And you might be thinking, well, Israel doesn't deserve this. They didn't really break that many laws. It's not that big of a deal. Well, that's what leads us to the next segment. So are we ready? 
for the deeper dive. James didn't like that one. <laughs> All right. So here's this is a brief conversation. It's really one sided, although I'm bringing you into it. So it's more two sided. <laughs> but I'm saying the listener should hopefully jump into this. But they're not. Talking. They're not going they're to not talking to us. No. So if you think that Israel has failed or not failed, it, maybe that's how I want to say it. if you think Israel has not failed. The big thing that God keeps talking about through all the prophets is that they have not kept covenant faithfulness. They have not stuck with what God said was going to happen. And so, for example, the Noahic covenant in Genesis 9 was for all flesh, all creatures. I'm never going to flood the world again. I'm never going to destroy you. Even though your hearts are prone to being angry and and evil, Mm -hmm. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be faithful to that. And God has been faithful to that promise all the way through till now. That's beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. But then the Abrahamic covenant, he, he pulls Abraham out of this people group, this nation, and he says, I will bless all people through you or all people by you. And in doing so, then he steps up in Genesis 15 and walks through the cut up animals by himself. And if you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, you know, that's a whole nother podcast someday when we talk about covenants or something. But God steps up and basically says, Abraham, if you fail this covenant, I'm going to die. If I fail the covenant, I'm going to die. Yeah, he does it himself. He just takes it all upon himself and says, I'm going to carry you. I'm going to do this. And the Abrahamic covenant is God fulfilling his promise to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through Abraham. And God's basically saying, you don't need to do anything. I've got you. Mm -hmm. It's impossible, by the way, to break the Noahic and the Abrahamic covenant. It's God. Mm -hmm. Okay? So if you're with me so far, there's no way to break those covenants. God's made a covenant with the people of earth. I don't know why, but he did, and, Mm -hmm. and he stuck to it. Where it gets a little dicey is you move to the, no, the Mosaic Covenant in Exodus 20. And that's where we hit the Ten Commandments. Everybody knows that part. But right after the Ten Commandments, then God says, here's, here's what I want you to do and here's who I want you to be. And the Israelites say, we will do it. And they make a covenant with God that they will stick to his law forever. Hmm. And then on the honeymoon, they make the golden like, calf. Yes, yeah, super quick. And it so immediately... It, it, they just do not follow the covenant. And it's not until this point in Hosea, now hundreds of years later, that God's going to pony up on what they should have done in the first place. Because even at that moment when they make the golden calf, God could destroy them, mm-hmm. but Moses steps in and intercedes yeah. on their behalf, and then they are allowed to live. And them being allowed to live shows God's mercy and God's kindness and God's love to them. But really, you know, if, if you were on a honeymoon and you're spouse cheated on you and then came back and told you that he cheated and your next move was, well, I'm going to show you mercy. Let's keep going. That doesn't make any sense. No. And that's what God's character shows us in that. And so then you start to get mad at reading Hosea and you're like, I can't believe that he's going to do all these things. It has been hundreds of years. And God is now finally saying, you know what? You made a covenant with me. You've broken it. I'm going to fix it. But he doesn't just say, I'm going to fix it. He's like, I'm going to strip you bare. And then when I strip you bare, you're going to have nothing left. And then you're going to say, you are my God. And at that point, you're going to be my people, the people that you were supposed to be in the first place, which is really, really cool. Uh, the next covenant that's important, the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7. God says, through David, I'm going to make an eternal throne, an eternal house, an eternal kingdom in you. And the only way that that's fulfilled is by Jesus. Again, mm-hmm. that is not a covenant that anybody can break. He says to David, I will love you and I will make this covenant happen like through I'm you. Like I'm doing this. Yeah. He says to his son, I'm going to strip the kingdom away from you because you're an idiot and I can't believe you started worshiping all these other gods. This is ridiculous. That, that's my wording. 
God does yes. not say yeah. it that way. <laughs> Save the emails and the text messages. I'm aware that God did not say it that way. But what he does say is, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. However, I'm going to leave you part of it because I'm, I'm true to my promise that I gave to David. So out of the four covenants so far, three of them are God saying, I'm going to pony up and do what I'm going to do mm-hmm. on my own without anybody else. So at this point now, we're with Hosea. And the northern kingdom, who's, who's, which is who Hosea is talking to, they have not abided. They've chased after other gods. They've done all these terrible things. They have not fulfilled their side of the covenant whatsoever. So we could stop at verse 13 and say that's what they deserve. But the fact, sure. that we, the fact that we have a God who then takes verse 14 through 23 and says, no, 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 no. Not only am I going to fix this for you, but I'm going to bring you back. So ironically, then he takes what they broke in the Mosaic Covenant and he makes it all his own covenant again. Mm. Man, our God is so stinking good. And I just mm-hmm. think we miss that. And so, you know, I thought for the deeper dive this time, we would just briefly talk about covenants, covenant faithfulness, and then the lack of covenant faithfulness. Really, you owe your life to the other person if you break a covenant. Yeah. And so God doesn't take what's his, which is their lives. He gives them mercy and allows them to keep living. It's crazy, right? It is crazy. So that was super fast, uh, but I think it's a good part of that conversation. We will come back to covenants way down the road, uh, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. So for now, let's get practical. Let's get practical, practical. So... I really want to focus on being careful to use what God is blessing you with to further God's kingdom and not to worship something else. So focusing on when God was like, I gave you all that stuff, and then you worshiped Baal with it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in chapter 2, God says, I gave you grain, oil, and wine. And what did you do with it? You gave it to Baal. So can you imagine blessing someone with something, and then they use it in a detestable way? I know often we are afraid of maybe giving money to certain people because we are afraid of what they're going to use it on. Well, <laughs> God blesses us with with things too, and far too often we use it to worship usually ourselves, if we're being honest. Yeah. It usually doesn't have to actually do with worshiping a lot of other things. It's really worshiping ourselves. I feel like a lot of times the idol in our life is actually ourselves. We want to make ourselves great. We use what he blesses us with to further our own kingdom and not his. And as he said, I will take all of those things away. And really, we deserve for him to do the same thing when we are not using it as he would like us to. It is all his. He gave it to us, so we should be discussing with him how he wants us to use it. So maybe it is a great house that he blessed you with. How are you going to use it to further his kingdom? It's not just for you to sit in and have lavish parties. Like, that's not, that's not the point. Or maybe he gave you a great opportunity. How are you mm-hmm. going to use that to further his kingdom or bless those around you? Maybe he's given you a lot of extra money, a lot of extra time. Because sometimes I think we think when God blesses us, it's the, the tangible things, the right. things I can touch. But sometimes it's just time or um, energy or something like that. Yeah. And so whatever it might be, like, what is he blessing you with? And then you need to be actually using that extra or that blessing to either bless others or really be looking at how he wants you to to further the kingdom, not just for yourself. So No, yeah. I love it. We're stewards, right? Yeah. I think that was true. the most helpful thing for me to understand at some point in my life where because I didn't I don't know about you, but like it took me a long time to become a giver. Oh yeah. It took me a long time to become a person that actually saw the purpose in all of that. 
And when I finally died to myself a little bit and realized, man, I'm going to start giving. I'm just going to jump in and do what I need to do and, and you know, live on less than what I, I'm living on and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. In the moment of that, I was just like, no, I'm a steward. God's giving me all this stuff and I need to steward it well. And so I want to stand before him one day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So I don't feel pressure to do that. You're not putting no, pressure on people. No, not at all. It's just this idea of like, well, okay, we've, we've been given something. Let's use it. Let's use it for his purposes. And you're going to like it better when you do that because you're a steward. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. All righty. Council Corner with Erica. All right. So for my Council Corner today. Hi, Erica. Hello. It's Council Corner with Erica. So God is not gone from you forever. I just want to reiterate this to some of you. You are never too far gone. No matter what you think you have done, you are not beyond God's reach, his grace, his redemption, none of it. Satan likes us to think that we are too fill in the blank, whatever that might be. For God to love us, maybe we're too dirty, we're too messed up, we're too wrong, make too many mistakes, never can get it right, whatever it might be. But that is what Satan is, the deceiver. He is deceiving you. If God is still going to be there for these people who hoard after other gods for hundreds of years, he will be there for you too and for me too. If David was a, was a man after God's own heart and he adultered, killed, covered it up, wasn't a great father at times, then I think we're welcomed in as well. We just have to turn toward him. We will, he will not force it upon us. But on the other side of that, just because we are not too far gone and God is always there to take us back does not mean that the consequences of our actions will always be taken away. God promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. In Hosea, he shows that at the end of this chapter, but they will still be taken over by Assyria and scattered and not have great consequences. But that doesn't mean that God has left them. God is still there, but the consequences are still real and will happen. Yeah, that's an awesome word. And I think we need to hear that and hear it and hear it again. And I also want you to see, based on what we've talked about so far, this is not merely a New Testament concept. No. I think we all think of it that it is, but this has been consistent all the way through. It's not about what you do. It's about who you trust, and it's about who you believe. And, and if you're giving yourself to God completely, then when you realize you've sinned, you just come to him and say, I need mercy. There's no other—I can't get it from anywhere else. You're the only person that can fix this. Fix me. Change me. Mold me into who you want me to be, which is what you see in David, mm-hmm. which is why he is a man after God's it, own heart. Yeah. Saul was the opposite. Right. Right. So. Right. And you eventually see that with Israel, but it takes a lot longer for mm-hmm. them as the entire kingdom to do that. But in the middle of that, you start to notice the storyline from the beginning of the story all the way to the end is consistent and the same. God is merciful. He is loving. He is kind. Yes, judgment happens. But in this case, judgment is a, is a mercy to draw you back so that he can mm-hmm. call you my people and that you'll actually have the relationship with him. You'll call him your God yeah. that you're supposed to. So I love that word from you that, you, you know, God has not gone from you forever. You're never too far gone. He's got you. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening to Hosea chapter two. And we'll see you later. Did that sound like an official radio? It answer? did. We're so good at this. <laughs> All right, everybody. See you later. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Yamcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember to check us out on all the socials like Instagram at the Yamcast. We love to hear back from you guys, so please leave us a comment or a review, and we might even send you guys a sticker. 
Also, if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com.